The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. I'd like to begin with two quotes. The first one is from the late George Carlin. Too many people not asking questions. Too many people not demanding answers. Too many people defending the system. I wonder what George would say right now, because his quote is right on target. And the second quote is from Elon Musk. Wokeness basically wants to make comedy illegal, which is not cool. Do we want a humorless society that is simply rife with condemnation and hate? At its heart, wokeness is divisive, exclusionary, and hateful. Basically, it gives mean people a shield to be evil and cruel, armored in false virtue. Tonight's special guest is considered the most accomplished comedian by creating a thriving independent career where he is free to think and speak his mind. He has refused to remain silent on the issues that strain communities and society as a whole. He became known for never pulling punches on social media, exposing the industry for being a tool of social conditioning and shameless hypocrisy. Never letting social status or money get in the way of what needed to be said and what many people quietly agreed with, he prioritized truth and comedy above all. And to my loyal Veritas members, I just added a new book in our Veritas library. Just go to the website, click on Info, and then Library, and you'll see the books that we include there. I've included one book on longevity, written in the 1700s. And what this author did, and it's written in Old English, but you can understand it, this person has cataloged hundreds and hundreds of individuals, ranging from 110 years old all the way to 185 years, and each individual story. So I think you'll enjoy this. It's a great addition to the Veritas Library. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, rebounders, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. From upstate New York to Hollywood to the country of Idaho, Owen Benjamin has been on quite the journey, known as many names, including the Big Bear and Bard King of Berta area. Owen leads an inspiring life of truth and adventure. After studying internationally to obtain a degree in tyrannical government takeovers with a special focus in the Holocaust, Owen went to Hollywood where he grew a thriving career, making a name for himself as an established comedian and actor. Credits include regular on Jay Leno, two Comedy Central specials, three Adam Sandler movies, lead on film All's Fair in Love, and series regular on hit sitcom Sullivan and Son. 
He also was a major international headliner at clubs and theaters around the world, as well as a performer on Vince Vaughn's Wild West Comedy Tour. Owen was one of the only established comedians to speak out against agendas to normalize child abuse with hormone-altering drugs and sexual exploitation. Fighting this agenda publicly resulted in his exile from Hollywood. Owen doubled down on truth and refused to compromise or take the path of manipulative money and accolades. As a result, his audience grew rapidly and his live streams began pulling more views than mainstream media news outlets, rolling out hours of hilarious content daily, having this level of reach and influence without giving in to the manipulations to push agendas or avoid topics made Owen a major target for deplatforming from various services involved in the attempted social conditioning of the public. As Owen Benjamin sought to find solutions in an atmosphere that hyper-focused only on problems, he found that taking responsibility, being self-sustainable and self-reliant as the right path forward. As a result, he became one of the biggest advocates for people homesteading and growing their own food wherever they are, even if it starts with a seed on a seedy balcony. Owen began to thoroughly understand the criminal nature and mechanisms used to actively discriminate and slander both him and his audience by not bending to the social agendas of the perverted and destructive news media. His path forward was to build his own platforms and services where he can be free to speak his mind and connect with others who want to be part of the good, the true and the beautiful. In these dark times, Owen Benjamin will give us a real positive spin. His website is owenbenjamin.com. From somewhere in the Idaho wilderness, I'd like to welcome Owen Benjamin. Hello, Owen, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hey, man. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. I was telling you a second ago that I'm a, I'm a subscriber. I'm a fan. So when our mutual friend Dave Weiss um, told me he wanted me on the show, I was really pumped because... Yeah, I listen to all your episodes. Well, thank you very much. I'm honored to hear that. Uh, I've been following your work for a few years. I think it, it was David who introduced me to your work. And I think I, we tried to contact you years ago, but something happened and it fell through the cracks. So I'm glad you're here because this is very timely now. But for the, I, I know a lot of my listeners know you because they keep writing to me about you. It's been years. Let's begin with your story. You went from upstate New York to Hollywood to Idaho, and many places in between. Let's begin with your story, Owen. I mean, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty wild story. I, uh, yes, I grew up in a small town in uh, upstate New York on Lake Ontario, and my dad taught rhetoric and mass communication, and basically, looking back, spellcraft, like how the media operates, and there is an art to it, and. Um, yeah, like rhetoric, like how to evoke emotion in people. Like when you talk about uh, broadcasting, it's casting of what? And it spells. And then my mom taught children's literature, but stay-at-home mom, real salt of the earth. So I was uh, raised with uh, a good sense of mythology and archetypes, like from uh, children's lit. And then my dad uh, about rhetoric, and I played classical music my whole life. And so I didn't really know what I was going to do for a living. I went to college for... Um, history. And it was, uh, it's really funny looking back. It was, I majored in world war two and tyrannical government takeovers. And I studied it in the Czech Republic. I was just really interested in it because, um, I don't know. Cause Oswego is one of the only, ta- uh, places in all of America to take in Jews during world war two. And so 
that fact always interests me because it didn't make any sense to the broad narrative of World War II. So I always had that interest and I always had an interest in rhetoric and power and speeches and all that stuff. So, but I never thought it was going to come in handy. And uh, here we are in 2022 and it's a really valuable resource now to understand how these type of institutions operate. So then <clears throat> my best friend from kindergarten uh, wanted to be a writer in LA. And so I just went with him because I didn't have any real uh, vision of what I wanted to do with my life. I was playing piano for tips and I had done stand up in college, but uh, I never thought of myself as a comedian. And so out in LA, I, uh, I started getting into that stuff because I liked sketches and I liked writing and I liked uh, musical comedy. And so really quickly, I started doing um, open mics and people saw me and then introduced me to more people. And I was on the show uh, punked very early on because I, I'm capable of, you know, maintaining the joke and not breaking and understanding the engineering and dynamics of comedy. And so, you know, I had no connections in L.A., no family ties, no, um, you know, these horrible casting situations that we're told about now. For me, it was very just social. It was like, you know, people would watch me do really well on stage and want me to be part of their project. And so then I met Adam Sandler through this, through Nick Swartzen. And so he put me in um, The House Bunny, this uh, fairly big budget movie, and I had a funny part in it. And so, uh, and I had been repped at CAA and Principato Young and all these like um, big companies. But the thing about being a comedian is you're kind of a day walker. You're not really in Hollywood. You're more of like a, like a craftsman. So I didn't see the, a lot of the aspects of Hollywood back then that I started to see later in my life. Because the comedian is more like the uh, the set designer or whatever. You know, they're not in that that crazy audition script world. It's more like this guy can make anyone laugh on a stage. We can send him anywhere in the world and uh, pay, people pay him to entertain him. So I got to have the um, an actually pretty enjoyable experience during that time. And I was working at a restaurant before I could support myself just with comedy. And then... I got on a sitcom, Sullivan and Son. I was uh, really big on uh, MySpace back then and, and uh, doing commercials. And so I was, at, I, you know, my picture was painted on the wall of the Hollywood Improv. Like I was uh, considered a really successful comedian. I wasn't A-list like a Chris Rock or something, but I was definitely in the top 50 to 100. And uh, And my comedy was always pretty, the irony about what, my reputation has become is I was always seen as very likable and not super edgy, but I was committed to the joke and I was committed to the truth of the joke. And so then, you know, as time goes on, I link up with Vince Vaughn. I go on tour with him and I used to open for Julio Iglesias and all these like really interesting things. Uh, I performed in the Middle East and England and O2 Arena in London with the Impractical Jokers and just a ride that was really fun. But Around 2014, looking back, is when Hollywood really started changing when it came to political correctness. And it didn't used to affect the comedy world. When I, when I explain to people now how comedy used to be, and I'll tell people like big stars and what jokes they were saying, they don't believe it because now the entire comedy world is based on illusion and lying and 
uh, agenda and all that. And that you can't do that with comedy. It actually goes against what comedy is because the comedy is, um, you know, the Joker mocking the king. It's, it's a really specific role. And the obvious reality that's all around us, the comedian's job is to make it palpable and, or make it funny, like make it not scary. You know, and my major thing was men and women. Um, and I think a lot of that came from analyzing the tyrannical masculine versus the tyrannical feminine when it came to uh, tyranny. Like uh, communism is the tyrannical feminine and fascism is the tyrannical masculine. And so <clears throat> on the macro is very similar to the micro. So I, I could really understand when a woman completely takes over a relationship, that's communism, you know, the tallest nail gets hammered down. It's about, I, I could tell some jokes for you later if you want, but I'll just stick with the, uh, with the, uh, story. Sure. So anyway, uh, what happened, the thing that changed everything, well, one, I met my future wife and we had a, a, a child and things started turning the agenda in Hollywood turned very, very dark. And it, and it started incorporating children. And I was fine with gay marriage when they rolled that out. And I would have considered myself a liberal and because I, I believed in choice and I thought that the, uh, you know, the rural rednecks were crazy for saying that they were going to come for the kids. And I was totally one of those guys. And then they did. And then they started. It was the trans movement. The child trans movement was the thing where my whole life changed. So I was never an agenda guy. I was never pushing their agendas, but I was, um, I assumed that the liberals, quote unquote, the liberals wanted what's best for everybody. And it was about, you know, two gay guys that get to live together and whatever. I was like, it doesn't matter. That's their choice. We're adults. When this one guy, uh, Jesse Thorne, he's, um, was an NPR host and like really connected in all these liberal circles. He was saying his five-year-old son was a girl on Twitter. And so me with my 150,000 followers and my blue check mark and all that, I'm like, no. And so I start, and I'd already done that stuff with some of the false shootings and, you know, talking about how removing, you know, getting rid of a gun to stop murder is like chopping off everyone's dicks to stop rape. It's like yeah. the, the, the logic of it, I would mock and they, they couldn't really do anything about it yet, but it was this that they could hold on to. So I was making a really good living at the time. And, uh, and so I could get between, you know, 10 and $20,000 a college to perform in a night. And that's kind of how they get you. That's why so many celebrities and, and successful people in Hollywood cuck so much and they follow any agendas because it's so enticing. But being who I am and being how I was raised, I know that giving up your word for money is, is a horrible deal. And also to, uh, stay silent when people are going after children who haven't, who have no ability of consenting to these narratives is evil. And so I was openly calling this guy out. And, and when you call people out by name, there's an extra level of demonic fury. They hate it. They hate names. They hate when you say this guy's doing this. And I was never the, um, the, the, the Hollywood whistleblower that was like, Oh, I've seen stuff and I have documents. And I, for me, it was always the stuff in plain sight because I didn't hang out with pedophiles or I didn't go to occult situations. I never saw any of that stuff. What I saw was a, I know it exists now, like now that I've become more of a truther and I've looked into this stuff, but what I saw was a permissive attitude towards abuse 
And um, now that I had a baby, my views on abortion was changing because I'd never been with a woman who had been pregnant. So I didn't see how much it impacts you when you see a beating heart and stuff like that. So I was changing pretty rapidly and I saw this agenda about the trans child. And that's when everything changed. Cause I had a transsexual piano teacher when I was a kid and, and um, Lucinda became Larry and always very out there. And I believe that maybe one in a thousand people genuinely have gender fluidity and are kind of like, you know, kind of shamanistic is how I describe it. Like it's not what it is now. So I was very aware of that world. That's why that spell didn't work on me because when they're like, Oh, they, <clears throat> you know, that how do dare you deny who they are? And I'm like a five-year-old kid, a three-year-old kid doesn't have a sex. They don't comprehend sex and gender is just a scam. It's like, they're innocent. They're, they're, they're very, very innocent. And, and so, and the contradictions that were happening were all over the place. It's like, oh, well, my five-year-old likes to play with Barbies and not trucks. I'm like, you're the one assigning gender roles. You're the one claiming exactly the opposite of what you guys always talk about, that why can't a woman be a Navy SEAL? It's like, does that make her a man? Like, there's no logic here. And also, I never stopped making fun of other races, other religions, because I because there's a there's a really bizarre, ironic hatred in that. Like they would always say, don't punch down. And I'd be like, so you think black people are down? You know, it's because I didn't view other races, other countries, other religions as below me is why I would include them in the joke. You know, I could do a joke about Ireland or white girls or can't Canadians are all day long. But as soon as I made fun of like a black guy or like a Jewish guy, I was like, Oh no, you can't do that. It's like, why? And because I viewed the whole world as uh, fodder for comedy was why they said I was the one with hate. Where in reality, everybody wants to be made fun of every, that's why you pay comedians. You pay comedians. So, um, so that your group gets to be mocked all the, funny and sometimes embarrassing quirks of your community get brought into the light. You laugh at it. No one cares. You go back to work. Like I can make fun of how Armenians all wear the same track suits and, you know, count money outside of a coffee bean and sell carpets and everyone's laughing. But as soon as you make fun of like a black, like whoever was the um, demographic of that day, whatever agenda they're pushing, that's the one you're not allowed to. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to be your monkey. Like I didn't get into stand up. Uh, to be a puppet. That's the whole point. We're supposed to be the outlaws. We're supposed to be the, the truth towers, the, the clown. And so that was a, I, my agent and manager both fired me that week. All the colleges wouldn't, you know, I wasn't allowed to perform, you know, that week I was supposed to go to Yukon. They wrote me a letter because of your views on transgender, because of your bigotry and your transphobia. I'm like phobia. I'm like, I'm not scared of trans people. Like my piano teacher you know, but no one cares. They don't actually care. They don't actually have any feelings of protection or inc inclusion at all. The irony, of course, is I was the one including people. You know, it's like imagine the hell where no one else will make fun of you. That's insane. Like you would feel like the outcast. And so I, I literally am back. Now I'm back in my brother's town with a baby. I'm making 20 bucks. I was making 20,000 a night. Now I'm making 20 an hour as a groundsman because the way Hollywood works is it's really hard to save money because everybody gets a cut and 
price of living is so high. And I actually saved more than most by just buying property, but you don't get to keep it. It, it just goes through. You know. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.